Hello and welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that relies purely on the medium of sound to get its point across and Instagram posts. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We'll run down our most favourite music related films of all time, talk about some real news and our main review is Sound of Metal, the multiple award nominated film starring Riz Ahmed. I thought it was the Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal, is it? I had the same thought. Google tells me it is just Sound of Metal. Fair enough. Well, as ever, it's always interesting to discuss TV and film with you. But before that, I'm just purely curious. Have you had any more run-ins with your neighbour since you told her to knock it off, love? Or has it all been gravy? That's all been fine. It's all settled now. They've calmed down. So I'm happy with that. However, on almost the other side of the building, far away from me, someone was playing music so loud that the bass was thumping through into my living room. Shocking. Shocking. It's not the first time they've done this. It was so loud. It was vibrating my living room and I couldn't take it anymore. I went downstairs, they're on the first floor, so the floor above the ground floor, the second floor up. I'm trying to take into account our international listenership. Went downstairs, at first I just stood and looked up at the window, just thinking of what to do. And eventually I decided to go into the communal car park, pick up little stones off the ground, and I threw them at their window. So they're big enough to make a noise, but they will cause no damage, and they did cause no damage. So I threw stones at the window, He opened the window and I said, please turn your music down politely. He said, what? I said, please, can you turn your music down? He said, I can't. (laughs) I said, what do you mean you can't? He just said, I can't and closed the window. And then I I lost it. I just started shouting. I said, now imagine I'm shouting. I said, I'm three flats over. It's vibrating over there. It's vibrating the whole building. There must be 30 people that can all hear you. And at this point, there were people looking out the windows at me. And I returned inside and he turned it down. What a liar he could after all. Yeah. Are you sure that you just don't suffer from some undiagnosed affliction, completely the opposite to Riz Ahmed, and you just hear everything? Hear everything. That's possible. That is something my wife has said that I can't filter out sound, that I hear everything, and it all bothers me. So your wife didn't hear this? She claims that she didn't, but I could feel the bass. I could feel it. You couldn't hear it, but you could feel it. On this occasion, it's been sorted, but I expect that to last a week or two, and then it'll be straight back to it again. Do you reckon you'll get a petition from all your neighbours to evict you? (laughs) No, but someone else, someone has put a printed note through all the doors saying the annoying dog is in 63 something road. If you'd like to complain, go to this website. So someone's started a campaign against someone's noisy dog. So it's not just me. Take solace in the fact that you're not alone, James. Have you been listening to your neighbours or have you been watching any good content this week? I've been watching content, whether it's good or not, we'll come on to it. I watched Too Close on ITV this week, a new three-part drama that it's been advertising ad nauseum over the last month. Have you managed to avoid being told about this? I have, yes, I have. It stars Denise Goff as a woman accused of a, of a heinous crime. That crime... You know what? I'm, I'm going to ruin the opening two minutes. Basically, she plunges her car with two kids in the back off of a bridge and it goes straight into the sea or river. I'm not sure which on that front. Emily Watson, good old faithful Emily Watson, another national treasure. She is assigned to this woman who's accused of this crime as her forensic psychologist. And it's about her attempting to unravel the why as to how has this all happened and also making an assessment on whether this woman in question is culpable as she's denying any memory of it happening. The first episode especially sets a really uneasy tone that gripped me straight off the bat. 
as soon as you're introduced to this woman at the center of the crime, she's so obnoxious and abrasive. Her behavior is really manipulative and she does come across as the devil incarnate. She's a deeply evil woman on the surface, at least. She has the ability to completely get under Emily Watson's skin. She's asking probing questions about her private life and her relationship with her husband. And it becomes this story about the power struggle between the two of them as the psychologist is trying to get to the bottom of her mental state and what's going on with her whilst Denise Goff is resisting by just being a nasty piece of work, really. By the way, the the makeup on her character, you know, because she's been in a car crash, she looks like a walking corpse. They've made her look like proper shit. It's quite impressive. She was disgusting to look at. Props to the makeup team. Anyway, all the while, Emily Watson, she's got personal issues of her own, and it's about how her work, and this case in particular, is bleeding into a marriage. It is more of a psychological thriller than a crime drama, but I did find it overall entertaining. I think it raises interesting questions about mental health and how we perceive people when we're not really aware of potential non-visible medical conditions. Possible. Spoiler. No, not really. For the second time in as many months, I was two parts into this before I had a sense of deja vu. Turns out, once again, as with Behind Her Eyes a couple of weeks ago, I've read the book. Interesting fact. (laughs) James is shaking his head. Interesting fact on this, though. The book is written by Natalie Davis, who turns out that's a pseudonym, and it is, in fact, the actress Clara Salomon. Who's that? Not a lot of people are going to know, really, but she played DS Claire Stanton in The Bill, and I know her very well, not personally. So good for her having a career change and becoming an author. I suppose I should say for international listeners, The Bill was a airy-fairy British equivalent of NYPD Blue, third from 1984 to 2010, that focused on a London police station. And rather than depicting horrific shootings in The Big Apple, it would focus on an investigation into somebody nicking a bag of quavers out of a corner shop or something. Anyway, (laughs) back to Too Close. The book, as you would expect, because it's a book, it explored the characters in a lot more detail, and I did prefer it, but this is a solid adaptation, and it's three parts. It's nice and it's bite-sized, so you can munch your way through it with relative ease. Too Close on ITV. Three parts, easy to get through. And Emily Watson, she's the one that was in the third day, isn't she? That's not the only thing that she's been in, but it's that's it's that Emily Watson, isn't it? Was she? As the pub. Oh, she was, yeah. No, she was. Person. What else have you been watching? Next one, which I'm far more excited to talk about, is Mur of Easttown, which is premiered this week on Now. Kate Winslet joins a flock of A-list actors transitioning over to TV with a lead role in this HBO series. And it's about a small down detective named Mayor. It's not about the mayor who is investigating a local murder whilst trying to prevent a life from falling apart. Or at least that's what IMDb says about it. When it comes to police procedurals, HBO has a history of creating very solid slow burn shows like True Detective, for example, This, though, caught me completely off guard because it is the complete opposite of that. It is not slow burn in the slightest. From the first episode, it's so fast-paced, I failed to think of another opening episode in recent memory that threw so much information at me. Episode one alone, we're introduced to around 20 characters, maybe even more. Let me attempt to summarise. Kate Winslet's a detective. Oh, and here's a mum, Kim Cattrall and her priest boyfriend slash husband. Kate Winslet's also got a daughter who has her own daughter, meaning she's actually a grandma. Oh, and she's also divorced. So then you see her ex-husband and his new partner who appears to live across the road with him. Separate to this, you also have a single mum who lives with her abusive father and we're introduced to her ex-partner and his new chappy girlfriend who despises her. 40 minutes in, if you're not lost already, Guy Pierce pops up out of nowhere, and we're not too sure what the significance of his character is. The list goes on. So there's so many relationship dynamics set up in this first episode alone, and that, I'm well aware, could come across as me being quite negative, or you would think, well, this can't be good, because of the number of characters. And I would also imagine you thinking, well, that's going to feel pretty disjointed and all over the place. 
it's not at all. It is very character and exposition heavy, so so much so that you don't even know what the central plot is likely to be until the closing moments of the episode. But despite that, not a single thing they inserted here felt superfluous, unlike me reviewing this. Each edition helped build out this small town that Mary inhabits and it informs her character more. I was left wanting to know more about every single plot thread and character. And what I liked about it is there's also like a relatableness to the look and feel of the show. It feels very true to life. It's not a glossy, oh, look at this detective being super cool and wow, wasn't that scene shot in a spectacular way. I hasten to use the word gritty because it's not that. It's just steeped in real worldliness, but without being depressing. I suppose what I'm trying to say is it's nuts and bolts storytelling that's not concerned with being flashy. And it even extends that notion to Kate Winslet's character because at one point she's chasing after a suspect who's robbed someone. Suspect jumps the fence. He cuts his hand open. Idiot. Uh, Kate Winslet then jumps the fence and she does it with such confidence. You're thinking, yeah, you go for it. But then she falls over and does her ankle in. And all the while she's going about her business in an oversized shirt and baggy pants. I don't feel like I've done a very good job of selling this, but it is full-on enjoyable. I'm really excited to see this series progress. It's one of the best things that I've seen over the last few weeks. At the end of the first episode, does it turn out that it's about horses? See why you might think that? No, it turns out it's about murder. Okay, then. Murder again from you, again. I can't help what they keep spitting out. It's primarily crime dramas and murder. It's not my fault. Okay, I accept that. I accept that. But James, offer something to the contrary. What have you been watching this week? This was a recommendation that came from a listener. The Looming Tower, which is from 2018. It's about the rivalry between the FBI and the CIA that may or may not have allowed 9-11 to happen. It's currently available on Amazon Prime in the UK. Jeff Bridges, Tahir Rahim and Peter Sarsgaard are in it, and by coincidence, Ren Schmidt, who is also in For All Mankind, that I talked about in last week's episode. It focuses on the FBI trying to investigate Al-Qaeda in the late 90s, and when they get close to something, they ask the CIA for more information, and they get blocked. And the senior figures in the US government, that's United States of America government, the senior figures don't really manage the situation well, to say the least. It's very, very good. It's very good. It does everything right. The characters, the writing, the acting, the look of it. They integrate archive footage really well. So they have archive footage of Bin Laden and Clinton, but they don't actually have actors playing those characters. And it makes everything seem very real. I'd like to reduce the amount of relationship drama by about 10% to make it perfect. But if you have any interest at all in the subject matter, watch this. The last episode is amazing. So you saw it all through as well, from start to all finish? Through, yeah. yeah. Well, last episode is amazing is the wrong word. The last episode is powerful. Powerful. Okay. Not just for what it's obviously building up to, but for the context of it within the series. Forgive me if you did say, is this a one-season standalone thing? One season standalone thing based on a book about the actual events, okay. the actual rivalry between the FBI and the CIA. And a minor thing to pick up on, but I am interested. Tahir Rahim, both of us really didn't like his performance in The Serpent, which came out earlier this year. Is he any better in this? He's very good in this. Very good. He's redeemed himself. I like him. Thumbs up for Tahir Rahim. He plays a hungry new FBI agent that will do whatever it takes. And he's he's the Arabic speaker, so they send him out to do things that need to speak Arabic. So he speaks in English and Arabic. He's really good. Good. Give him a second chance. What else have you been watching? Brand new on Netflix. Why are you like this? It's an Australian comedy from one of the writers of Auntie Donna's Big Old House, previously discussed by both of us on this very podcast. It's about three unsympathetic, irredeemable millennials, two female, one male, just living their lives, going to work, 
going to the club, da club, going to events. The humour primarily comes from lampooning walk identity politics and political correctness. Penny, one of the three characters, she tries hard to be politically correct and inclusive, but she constantly slips on the contradictions or gets things wrong. For example, Penny goes to a company to deliver efficiency training and sees that the staff are divided into typical male-female roles. She encourages the women to go on strike, but her efficiency training makes the manager realise that he can sack all the women. So her efforts backfire spectacularly. I'm simplifying quite a lot there, but it's funny. I liked it. It's refreshing. I laughed a lot. It's very of our time. I've not even heard of this. When did it come out? This week. All right. Okay. It's not a hateful and offensive programme. It's a satire of the things that I've mentioned. Sounds like I'd love that. I think I might get on that this evening. And I watched all of it in a very short space of time because I was really, really very into it. Might be key for some listeners. How many minutes per episode on average? 30 minutes, six episodes. Nice. Nice time. Swung it for me, that. Thanks. Anything else? Nowhere. Well, if there's nothing else to discuss in terms of our watch list this week, should we discuss potential viewings in coming years with real news? Yes. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. The first thing that caught my eye this week was a shocker. Carrie Mulligan joins Adam Sandler in Spaceman. Two questions straight away that I had with this. One, why? Why has she done this? She's on a career high after Promising Young Woman. Why would you even join forces or put yourself just anywhere in close proximity to Adam Sandler? I did not understand it. Turns out I was wrong to think this because it's a sci-fi drama it's not a comedy which made me think is this an actor's thought process when they get given a script and they've been given a few more specifics around oh it's an Adam Sandler film do they basically go is it comedy and as soon as they hear no they go all right okay yeah tell me more because you just I don't know how he still manages to have a career I know that he had Uncut Gems fairly recently and that was well received and he's good in it but he just makes some right dross Anyway, sorry, a bit, bit too passionate on that. But this is going to be directed by Chernobyl regular Johan Renk. So it's in safe hands, one would assume. Chernobyl was, was very good. And it's based on a book called Spaceman of Bohemia. And it's about an astronaut played by Sandler who's sent to the edge of the galaxy to collect mysterious ancient dust. Um, so that sounds interesting. <laughs> There is more to the synopsis there, but, you know, I won't draw on. On the face of it, though, do you understand where I'm coming from? Like, why, after doing so well with Promising Young Woman, just distance yourself from Adam Sandler? Christ. It is surprising because I was reading in an article recently that she is selective with her roles. And if you look back through the films that she's made, there's some kind of quality in all of them. She doesn't sign up to crap it seems. Mm. So to switch from that to Adam Sandler sci-fi, it is baffling. But if she's doing it, it has to be good. I hope so. It's also sci-fi drama. I can't picture Adam Sandler in a serious sci-fi role. Maybe I've missed something there and he's already done that, but it just doesn't compute with my brain. It doesn't compute for me either because she's only done dramas as well, Carrie Mulligan. So it doesn't it doesn't fit for either of them. Well, the proof will be in the cinematic pudding. James, what hit your headlines this week? What hit me was the confirmation that Michael Keaton really is playing Batman in The Flash, according to therap.com. It's confirmed, it's confirmed by his talent agency. It's happening. You know, the Flash that film that's coming out next year that we all care about, that we want to see, with Ezra Miller in it, from the dead DC expanded you. I get the hype. I get that 
it's big news, but if the film is no good, it won't be worth anything, will it? Well, we don't know that. There could be this resurgence because they brought the director's cut of Justice League back. They may bring back the Snyderverse. We can't rule it out. No, we can't. We can't rule it out. I will watch this film just for Michael Keaton, and I'm interested in it purely because of Michael Keaton. So it's a good move for them. Do you care about this? I don't really want to give them anything back, DC. But the news that Michael Keaton is in this, I'm the same as you. I'm going to have to see it now. You've, you've almost forced me, just out of pure curiosity. Wasn't going to bring it up, by the way, but now that you've mentioned it, you heard that Robert Pattinson is extremely not happy about all this. Sure, I'm misquoting, but borderline angry, I've heard. Not just disappointed, he is pissed with this so many Batmans in the mix when he's just on the cusp of releasing his new film. I can imagine him not being happy, yeah, because when you're playing Batman, you're the guy playing Batman. You're not supposed to be one of three guys playing Batman. And there's a Batwoman, but he might not know the Batwoman TV show exists. I'm almost disappointed that we do. And between this and the next Spider-Man film being the Spider-Verse and having Alfred Molina coming back as Dr. Octopus, it's like it's not enough just to have the characters in the films. They have to bring the old actors back. So forget telling stories. Let's just do these old characters but when people get bored of the characters, we'll bring the old actors back as well. <laughs> it's 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 like it's a gimmick. Mm. I didn't even know that was happening. So he's reprising his Doc Ock role, is he? Okay. Yeah. He's come out and said, probably not supposed to say anything, but I filmed it now, whatever. Yeah, I'm in it. And I'm de-aged with CGI. Mm. From news beat to musical beats. Let's talk about our favourite musical films. What are you talking about, yeah? I very much disagree Shut up, with yeah. that. Two. You do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you say makes sense. Conflicts of interest. Our main review this week is The Sound of Metal, and that got us into the groove of thinking about musical films. So we're going to talk about our favourite films that are related to music, but not musicals. Thanks for just wiping out my list, James. <laughs> no, it's not. I've not picked musicals. I must confess, when we came up with this idea as well, I was expecting Sound of Metal to concentrate on music a lot more. I don't know if you'd seen it when we agreed on this. No, I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, so it almost feels a bit redundant. But sod it, we're going to go with it anyway. And, and must be said, because of hate mail and such, we're only basing this on things that we've seen. It's all we can do. We're not music aficionados, nor music film cinephiles. So give us a break, eh? But James, what's first on your list? Almost Famous. Good pick. Directed by Cameron Crowe. I've been listening to the soundtrack for this film for years since I saw it. It's one of the best soundtrack albums ever. And Cameron Crowe made two... More of my favourite films, Jay Maguire and Vanilla Sky. It's the semi-autobiographical story of a young music journalist who tours with a band in the 70s. He grows up very fast. He falls in love with a groupie called Penny Lane. The scene of the band singing Elton John's Tiny Dancer is iconic. It recreates the 70s setting really well with the hair and the fashion there are lines in this that I still quote to this day and people don't know I'm quoting them. Like, this is not this is not the dynamic that we agreed on. I still say that to people and they've got no idea that I'm quoting Almost Famous. The cast is great in it. It's Kate Hudson in her breakout role and she's never been better than she was in this. Billy Crudup, Francis McDormand's in it a little bit. The great... Philip Seymour Hoffman is there as well. It's a great cast. The music's good. It's it's a lot of fun to watch. I'll second that. With you mentioning the soundtrack, I read an interesting bit of trivia on this the other day. It said that they had like an astronomical budget for music for this film because it features over 50 songs. Average budget, 1.5 million. Apparently they spent three and a half. So money well spent. What about you? I picked 
for my numero uno, the 2012 documentary, Searching for Sugar Man. So he's about a musical artist and he's known as Rodriguez and he had a brief foray into the world of music in the 1970s, only to completely disappear into insignificance. And this is about the journey of two mega fans who set out to uncover more about what's happened to this guy? What, where did he go? What did he do with his life? I am going to spoil this slightly, so if that summary alone has you intrigued, go and watch it or skip forward a few minutes. It turns out that whilst his music career was an ill-fated venture in America, his album somehow made it across to South Africa and became a national smash, just a huge success. It's been a good few years since I've seen it, so don't quote me on the accuracy of this, but I'm pretty sure that they say in the 70s, he was more popular than Elvis in South Africa. Literally everybody was aware of him. His album sold gangbusters. There were rumours floating around at the time that Rodriguez had set himself on fire on stage, and that's what people tended to believe. But the big twist in this is that once the filmmakers try to find out more about him in the 1990s, not only is he still alive and living this unassuming life as a labourer, he also has no idea of his success in South Africa. And that leads to them arranging this performance to a packed out stadium in South Africa in the late 90s. And it's truly like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, he just has no idea of his fame in an entire country. And I just love this because it is a film that the events that transpire, it, it will never happen again, this. Because we live in the internet age, there is no chance of history repeating itself. This this just couldn't happen again. There's just so much joy watching a man discover fame that he never knew he had. It's just fascinating stuff, and I loved it. And it's currently available on Amazon Prime in the UK, searching for Sugar Man. It is part of your subscription, so you have no excuse. James, what's your second pick? Vox Lux. From 2018, starring Natalie Portman. It's about a Britney Spears, Lady Gaga-like singer who is deep into her career and she's starting to fall apart. She's had some controversies. She's not very nice to her family. Her manager, Jude Law, struggles to keep her on track as she gets drunk and can barely stand up and has breakdowns on the reg. Hula. It's not that popular or well-known, or successful. It's got a rotten audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. But I really liked this. I came into it not knowing anything about it. I just watched it for Natalie Portman. And I think she's very good in it. It's very underrated. It is underrated. It's a good film. It's a very good film about our celebrity-obsessed culture and the damage that does to these poor, innocent celebrities. It's only on Netflix until May, so you've got to watch it now. Watch it now, urgently. Having seen it, and it'd be one of your top picks in this category, what is it that caused critics to tear it apart? Because that's the main reason I didn't watch it. It got absolutely slated, and I thought, oh, God, I'll give that a miss. I don't remember it coming out. I don't remember what the reaction at the time was. It holds a positive critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, it seems. Maybe what people don't like about it is that Vox Lux is very unlikable. She's unsympathetic. She's not nice to anyone. It's not a redemption story or a downfall. You come into it where things aren't going very well and that's what it's like all the way through. Like if it was a documentary, it'd be really interesting to see this fallen star who's trying to release a new album and get over some controversy. But as it is, it's a film and you're following around someone that isn't that nice. But I liked it a lot. And you do get to see her do live shows as well. And I think the way they do the live shows, it is Natalie Portman in front of a big live audience. So you do get the scale of her celebrity as well. I love that you've picked that. It's a, uh, as you said, I think quite an underrated film. So nice to bring some attention to it. What about you? What's next for you? Let's keep the rhythm going. I've not been anywhere near as left field as you. I've gone with Whiplash. Which, conveniently, don't have a deadline on this, but it is currently on BBC iPlayer, so 
who knows how long it'll last, go and seek it out. This is about Miles Teller. Well, it's not about Miles Teller. It's about the character that Miles Teller plays. You know what I'm trying to say. He's a drummer and he's in a jazz orchestra and he's got these ambitions to become the best goddamn drummer in the business. J.K. Simmons plays this enigmatic music instructor, Terence Fletcher, who leads this orchestra. And he's got quite unorthodox methods of teaching his students and they they pretty much lean towards being just straight up abusive just so he gets the most out of these musicians given how horrifically jk simmons character acts towards the character of andy played by miles teller your allegiance is obviously to that student character and wanting him to succeed in the face of adversity and it's primarily about that student mentor relationship seeing how tense it is and watching it play out and, and ultimately where it ends up is one of the most captivating things about it. J.K. Simmons is always good in whatever he's in, but he is unreal in this. He deserved the Best Actor Oscar that year. It really is a powerhouse of a performance. He might not be a likeable fellow, like you discussed with Natalie Portman, Fox Lux, but I think you're still left in awe of him sometimes, even if it's just taking some sort of perverse pleasure in seeing how Paul Lee treats his students. Some of the drumming segments in this film capture the intensity and physicality in a way that I don't feel Sound of Metal does when it comes to drumming. I'm not a drummer, so let me just put that out there. Might not be knowing what I'm talking about. I would also say as well that some of those scenes are up there with any action film I've seen in the last five years in terms of it being exciting and thrilling. It's just unbelievable to watch i do think it's worth pointing out as well that you don't need to be into drumming or jazz or music for that matter to get this film at all its themes are pretty universal it's about striving to do better whilst constantly being told that you're not capable of doing so if somebody would have told me that one of my favorite films of all time would have been about drumming i'd have told you to do one but it's practically without fault yeah that's that's all i can say on it I've somehow not watched that and you've made me want to get on it. James, please. In fact, I will punish you if you don't watch that for next week's episode and report back. I think you will really enjoy it. I'll watch it. I promise I will watch Whiplash. So we might have titled this section Conflicts of Interest, but neither of us disagree, as is normally the case. So let's just call it a day there and move to our main review, shall we? Hello? like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Sound of Metal. You sound great. Yeah, right. What, you tell me you were feeling it? You were in it. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow, let's see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track, you can play to me. You have to understand, your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you, do you understand me? I can't, I'm deaf! I'm deaf! The hills are alive with the sound of metal. I apologize. That's it. That's all I've got. So, James, in the absence of an attempted comedic summary, what's it all about? A heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing. James, what were your thoughts on the best film of 2020, Sound of Metal? This was not the film that I thought it was going to be. The promotional images and summary made me think it would be about a drummer slowly losing his hearing over the course of the film and dealing with that while he was still a drummer. But he loses his hearing almost completely and stops playing music in the first 10 minutes. 
and the plot is written on a whiteboard about 20 minutes in. Learn how to be deaf. What it's about is Ruben becoming part of the deaf community and finding something new worth pursuing. It caught me completely off guard with how touching, powerful, moving it is. There is a scene where Ruben plays tag or something in a field with the deaf children from the school. And that really got me. That really got me. There's been hype about the sound design, which recreates Ruben's impaired hearing, which has an impact. But what comes later was much more powerful and upsetting. But I think that's a spoiler to talk about. Any more here? Riz Ahmed. I like Riz Ahmed. He's in Four Lions, directed by Chris Morris of Dare to Dare fame. Really good in that he deserves the praise that he's getting. He's excellent. Not just the drum solos and the shouty bits, but the parts where he is just struggling to hear. And you can see how annoyed he is when he's trying to listen. In that early scene where he's looking at the transcript of the speech software on the monitor and looking at the man talking at the same time, you can see his frustration building. He's upset, but he also wants to play it down as well because he's not really accepting what's going on he's so good this film taught me so much about being deaf and the deaf community that i think it should be shown in schools for a lesson about disability and inclusion that's how sensitive and respectful it is it's not a sad film it's not a bad thing that's happened to him it's uplifting overall or at least that's what my reaction was Daniel, what did you think of Sound of Metal? Much the same as you in many respects. In that opening scene where you get this musical performance on stage in front of a live audience with Lou, played by Olivia Cook and Ruben. I have to be honest, the sort of music that they're playing was quite aggressive metal, shall we say. And I thought, I don't want to sit through an hour and a half, two hours of this. It's just not my cup of tea. I was a bit concerned. But... It doesn't concentrate on the music angle, like you said, too much. I don't think my ears would have been able to take it anyway. And there is, thankfully, only a handful of those performances, so I was spurred that. Instead, it is a film, as you've said, about adjusting to a sudden change in new circumstances, i.e. with this, going deaf. And I think becoming deaf is never going to be fun, whatever you happen to be doing in your life. But when you're a musician, you can understand how profoundly impacted you would be by it. Couple that with recovering from addiction and you definitely have a recipe for disaster. Your entire world is crumbling beneath you. And if anything's going to make you relapse, it's probably something like this. But what the film manages to do is to just capture the overwhelming impact that it has and do it in such an honest and unflinching way. I think because you spend nearly every single frame of the film with Riz Ahmed, it definitely makes you feel as though you're having some sort of voyeuristic insight into seeing him struggle through this step by step. It is shot mostly with a handheld camera style, which gives it a bit of a documentary feel, which I think adds to that as well. The film has numerous devices that are used to bolster that, but in terms of how it's shot, it is quite basic. Instead, the time and the effort, as you pointed out, it's been put into what you can hear rather than what you can see. The sound design, it is meticulous. I think they do so much to help you understand that deaf experience. In the opening 10 minutes alone, you get this heightened sense of sound, whether it's like a tap running or a blender whirring away, a car driving down a busy city road. It's all amplified and very prominent. And once he loses his hearing, it's such a stark contrast that it does make you really feel personally affected alongside him. Whether it's, you know, the distortion and the muffledness, the ringing noises, the sheer silence that follows, it's so expertly done. And I, I can speak from a bit of experience on that. I've mentioned it on this show. I've had troubles with my ears over the last six to eight months. I'm about 95% no hearing in one ear, and it's incredibly annoying. Obviously, I'm not even claiming to be anywhere near as affected as Ruben is in this film. But I, I did identify with a number of those things. It was frighteningly realistic to some of the things I've experienced, but just not, as I say, to this level. The performances you pointed out, the, the sublime Riz Ahmed, he 
conveys the highs and the lows in, in such a accomplished way. You're right, he deserves the praise that he's getting. And that frustration, like you said, it's etched on to every single bit of acting that he does, whether it's his body language just being so dejected, all those massive outbursts, he really does go for it. I'm not familiar with Riz Ahmed, really. I think I watched The Night Of a bit, and I've seen Four Lions, but I don't know any other of his work, but he shows a lot of versatility here, and I think he was really good. In a similar fashion, Olivia Cook, she's great. I love her in everything that she does. I'm not a big fan of the bleached eyebrows, though. It almost ruined my enjoyment of the film. But in the end, it wasn't enough to put me off. I did really like this film. But despite that, I can't say it lived up to my expectations, given the hype around it. I had a similar thing as well. I don't think it's overrated. It is not overrated. However, for me, it wasn't a 97%, 9 out of 10, all-time classic. So it didn't meet those expectations that had been set by almost a year of hype and all the awards and stuff. It was just a... It was a, wow, that was really good and had really memorable parts in it. Not one of the best films I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. So I should back what, what I said as well and say, no, I don't think it is overrated. But I think it's a bit of a testament, really, to just how much praise we have for things that are just very good films because there's just so much in contrast to that in terms of rubbish that when something half-decent comes out, it really does get recognised. <laughs> so maybe there's a bit of that in there too. One of the things that I couldn't escape from with this film, and it's just it's not just this film that contributed to this, but British actors in American roles. Now, Olivia Cook and Riz Ahmed are both British. Do British actors just have the best agents in the business or is America lacking talent? Because I don't think it's the latter, but if I was American, I'd be so annoyed we're literally in everything. They choose British people to portray American people in everything. And it's a bit weird for me. It's gone on for years, this, but it continues. Yeah. Carrie Mulligan, who we mentioned previously, she's British and she's playing an American promising young woman. An example that I like of British playing Americans is Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. So Benedict Cumberbatch has a distinctive British voice. But they put him in Doctor Strange to try to do an American accent. Because he's British. Yeah, when you have when you have Benedict Cumberbatch, have his voice. Have Benedict Cumberbatch do his British voice. Just strikes me as odd, but there you go. Neither of us have mentioned Paul Racy, who plays the manager. That's not a good choice of words. He's not the manager. Counselor. Counselor. He's the top guy at the deaf uh place. (laughs) Bless <laughs> the death retreat, and he's he is so good that it's like he's not even acting. It's like you're watching the documentary when he's talking. That's how good he is, and with the handheld style, it's com- it's totally real when he's there. It's it's very very good. Yeah, I read an interview with him the other day. He's quite old isn't he I think he's 75 76 something like that and he's not really had much of a career to speak of and now all of a sudden he's Oscar nominated and he's just loving life I'm, I think it's such a a lovely little side story to have with an actor who's gone unnoticed for so long and now look here he is and everyone's talking about him another word on the acting Riz Ahmed apparently he trained for six months to drum there's two scenes of his drumming I admire the dedication, but I don't really see the point in it. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know he trained for six months. That links to what I'm saying earlier about how the hype and that thing about him being trained for six months, that's like coming through the, the marketing for it. But there's very little two scenes of him drumming. There's very little actual music in it, which is not a bad thing, but he sat topless at a drum kit in the poster. And that's two scenes. Yeah. On the flip side of it, though, he did learn ASL, which I learned didn't mean age, sex, location, but American Sign Language. I think that's far more valuable going forward. So, The one flaw 
in this film that really annoyed me was when he writes his name on the whiteboard when he first joins the class, there's hardly any ink in that pen. And you can hardly see it on the board. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they should have they should have sorted that out. Well, while we're on nitpicks, I was gonna leave it till spoilers, but when he first becomes deaf, his girlfriend starts writing everything down on paper. And I thought, you've got a mobile phone, type it on the phone. And I thought, oh, well, maybe she just doesn't have it at this point in time. But that continues. And I thought, this isn't ringing true. I would just type it down on a phone. Yeah, you would sit next to him and type on the phone so that you don't have to keep flipping it around to show him. Yeah. Or you would sit next to him and write. So it was it was wrong in two ways. Anyway, we're being pedantic. James, hit me with your rhythm stick. Would you recommend Sound of Metal? Yes. Daniel, would you recommend Sound of Metal? Yes. Shall we spoil it now? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So upon learning that he is becoming deaf, he seeks some form of comfort in a deaf commune. He gets introduced to their way of life. At first, he's very dismissive, partially, I feel, because it's not a very inclusive experience, if I'm honest, because he doesn't know what's going on. Anyhow, slowly he starts to come to terms with things and he integrates, but I think he only ever sees this as a temporary solution, Ruben. He's always chasing a full-on fix for his condition. His end goal is to pay for this medical procedure and have implants. Finally, he sells everything, pays for the treatment, he then gets booted out of the commune in one of my favourite scenes, which we'll talk about in more detail. He travels to Paris to rekindle his romance with Lou, only to find that he may have been chasing the impossible. Is that a fair summary? Very fair, yes. Oh, what should we start off with? I thought maybe we'd talk about what our favourite points were in the film, perhaps. Yeah, okay. What's one of your standout moments, then? When Rubin gets the implant that he's been hyping up to for the whole film, he gets it and it doesn't deliver the results that he wants. He can hear the doctor just about, but you can see that he thinks, oh, she just needs to adjust it a little bit and then it'll be perfect. But she fiddles with the settings. It doesn't improve. And there's this realisation on his face, like this is not what I thought it was going to be. And then as he listens to things using this implant, it's not good enough. It is not good enough. And that's the part that I was referring to earlier. The sound design for that is very good. And that was a standout moment for me when he first gets the implant and you realise, oh, this is this is a disaster. Yeah. And it, that was that was upsetting. Is is very hard hitting because it's almost piercing as well, isn't it? That sound is so garbled and tinny that it, it's offensive on the ears. It wasn't nice to listen to. Obviously, that's the point. But also quite sad because if they've done the research, which you know I said they have before, for what I've had with my experience, you can only imagine that is what that person kind of hears if they have that implant. So. And maybe it's satisfiable for some people because you can still have the conversation at the end of the day, but I think the message of the film is to kind of embrace this and live your life through a different lens, so to speak. Yeah, and what he realises quickly is that he could communicate better with the sign language when he was deaf and his interactions with people were more positive. On that, just while you've mentioned it, his not being able to sign to suddenly be able being able to sign is too sudden. It happens in about 45 seconds for me. And I thought, you've not really built up to this. Maybe he needed to do that from a pacing point of view, but I thought, oh, it's a bit sudden. Yeah, like Ray learning to use a lightsaber in two minutes and then beat a trained Sith in the final scene of The False Awakens. Yeah, it... I let it go. I just assume, okay, weeks, months have passed. This is fine. It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. It was just noticeable. But anyway, back back to good stuff. 
two for me one Ruben takes one of the children out of the class because he's being disruptive and they go to the playground and the little lad he's on top of the slide Ruben sat at the bottom and he starts to hear the boy just tapping on the slide and then that results in Ruben going along with it and he starts making a bit of a beat on the slide and I thought that was such a nice moment between the two because he realized that you can still have these personable intimate moments with people just through something so simple and it really touched me I'd liked it a lot yeah excellent no dialogue no even sign language because he doesn't know sign language at that point just telling the whole story through movement and sound yeah it was very well done the other one for me was the disappointment from the counsellor the Paul Racy character when he goes back and tells him that he's had the treatment and he delivers this monologue about, listen, this is a place where we promote that this isn't a handicap and we do embrace that. Anyone who goes against that is kind of not welcome. I've dumbed that down entirely, but it was a very emotional speech and you could see and feel the emotion on his face once Riz Ahmed or Ruben left the room and it, it deeply affected me. I had a tear in my eye. I thought it was very effective. It was. The betrayal was so powerful. And he wasn't even getting angry at him. He was just disappointed. And it was a quiet scene, but it was so, so powerful. Any other standout moments for you? There was a standout moment. Maybe only because I had to watch it twice because I didn't understand what was going on. Towards the very end, when Reuben and Lou are in bed, Ruben says, oh, we can go back on tour, get the band back together. And Lou shows some anxiety towards that idea. There's no words spoken. And then Ruben says, it's okay, it's okay. And they kind of agree without saying much that they're not going to do music together anymore and they're going to split up, it's over. I got that, that what was, that's what was going on, but I thought I'd missed a beat somewhere. So I went back and watched it again and what I thought was really good about it or how I interpreted it was that Ruben says, oh, let's go and do music again. And Lou doesn't say anything, but she communicates non-verbally and unintentionally that she doesn't want to do it. And Ruben, with his heightened non-verbal communication skills, picks up on it. Uh, And Lou seems surprised that he realises that when he says it's okay, she says, what, what do you mean? And it's as though Ruben has this heightened sense of understanding people he has these superior communication skills now and it was used in that moment that's how i interpreted what was going on i really like that interpretation to be honest i think it adds a lot more depth and meaning to that final scene because i was in a similar boat to you i thought it was almost a bit too ambiguous i didn't quite know what had happened in that scene i thought have they actually split up or is he just having a a moment of doubt and he needs to go and distance himself and you know evaluate things the other thing about that particular scene there's obviously been this huge change in circumstances throughout the course of the film for both of them since they've been apart and what i particularly like was they both have different physical appearances when they meet back up so those disorientating or those jarring bleached eyebrows They're now back, as they should be. Thank you very much. You look a lot more normal now. Whereas Ruben's shaved off his bleached hair. And it was almost like they'd become strangers to one another. And that's what added to what you're kind of saying, I think, now that I think about it. But I liked that aspect of it. That's such a good point. That is such a good point that I'm annoyed that I didn't think of it. (laughs) Well, you had the interpretation of the ending that I didn't. And that has far more meaning than I attributed to it. So swings and roundabouts, mate. Don't worry about it. When Riz Ahmed is exchanging smiles with the teacher, did you think, marry the teacher, marry the teacher now, this is the future? I did, which has caused me to remember the other thing that I wanted to raise. You know, when he goes to Lou's house, were you expecting her to be shacked up with some other fella? Yes, I was expecting her to casually walk in with some other guy and say, oh, this is my new lover. We're already married. He's a billionaire. Yeah, which could have worked, couldn't it? Because if he'd have had that opportunity with the teacher, and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to stay faithful and 
and go to my uh, my good old Lou, and then she did him over. In fact, that wouldn't have been a very positive ending, would it? So maybe they made the right choice. But no, I did think there's a potential here for a romance to blossom. Yeah, maybe in the sequel. Yeah. Sounds of metals. No. That was good. That was good. I like that. Just to dwell on that sequence in Paris again. I'm going to be completely open and honest with you. I had no idea what was going on when he went to Paris. He leaves to go and see her again. I got that. But it wasn't clear to me at all where he was, whose house he was going into, whether he even knew that her father was going to be there. Was he surprised that the father was going to be there? Is it the family house? What is happening? It took me a while to piece it together. I don't know if I'm just an idiot. You know, you know, I... I got there in the end because there's enough things to make you piece it all together, but it's not explicitly clear what is going on until you have gone, oh, why is this French guy here? Oh, why are other people speaking French? Oh, it, yeah, it just all finally comes together, but it's not. No, I don't think it is clear. So you're not an idiot. Don't worry. Okay. And it seems as though he doesn't contact Lou beforehand, or does he? That's not no, he clear doesn't. either. I thought I thought that was a bit weird to not call ahead. Well, we don't know what the agreement was with his counsellor because he did take his phone off him. Maybe he never got it back and he had no means of communicating with her. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe he sold it to raise that extra £20. <laughs> he went down to a CEX in Manchester and sold his phone for £10. It, it did bother me slightly, but again, I let it slide that Money was an issue towards the end of the film, but he can just fly to Paris. And do you know what I mean? It was all a bit too convenient. And I thought, well, you've no job. Oh, and you're paying for a hotel room, sorry, before you fly away. Where's all this coming from? Maybe he had some left from his £80,000 treatment and the twenty-six grand that he got from selling his camper van. I don't know, but that didn't quite ring it's true. All, it's all starting to fall apart now. It's all starting to fall apart. <laughs> He's told that the surgery costs between forty and sixty thousand. He sells the camper van for twenty six thousand. There's no way he sold the drum kit and the musical equipment for over fourteen thousand pound dollars, whatever. That didn't add up. We're just gonna have to let it lie though, aren't we? Maybe there was something else that we're not aware of. Can I just say on that? God, I actually did a bit of research this week, which is unlike me. So I was immediately fuming when he's first diagnosed as being deaf and he says, oh, there is a treatment. Oh, but it's not covered under health insurance. And I thought, typical, the American health system, as much as we slag off the NHS, that is ridiculous. You're preventing somebody from carrying on living their life as they should be able to. Why would you deny them this treatment? Turns out not true. That treatment is covered with health insurance. So just thought I'd let people know in case they weren't aware. Oh, defending American healthcare. <laughs> Maybe it's not covered by his insurance. I think the line I think is it's not covered by insurance. So yeah, maybe it is is wrong. It works for the film anyway. But overall, in terms of the message that comes through at the end of him accepting his situation, which is not a handicap, was moving it really is a powerful film completely agreed and i did hear that if they want one thing out of this film it's that more people are encouraged to learn sign language and even 50 minutes in without knowing that i thought you really shouldn't be so ignorant dan wouldn't you wouldn't you get in on this wouldn't it be nice for you to be able to sign with someone if the need ever arised and I suppose you can consider it successful. Whether I'll actually go out and do that is a different matter, but at least it made me think about it. Yeah. If the need arose. What did I say? Arised. Yes. <laughs> what an idiot. Uh... Shall we go into the coda or the outro? We've forgotten in past weeks. Do not forget to support this podcast. You can email us at inthearspodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook or leave us a five-star review and rating on iTunes or follow us on Instagram 
at in the hours podcast. Do all of those things. Call to action. Yep. James, what is stacked up for next week's episode? At long last, promising young woman starring Kerry Mulligan, finally available to watch in the UK. Thank you, Sky. And now. So we might be two weeks too late to the table with Promising Young Woman, but we can only bring you so much content. We're doing our very best. Still fresh opinions. And we'll be reacting to the Oscars. Oh, is it next week? Yes. So by that time, James, you may owe me £10. Following the bet that we have, where you say Chadwick Boseman will take home the Best Actor Award, and I say Anthony Hopkins. Not if you look at the betting odds, but we'll see. Afters. Buffed as indicates otherwise. Oh,